What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. I'm so interested in this, and I can't believe not everyone is. The highest interest rate in 15 years, thanks to the Federal Reserve, but the markets don't like it. Is the market going to listen to what Jay Powell was saying, that higher rates are coming? Another thing the markets don't like? Crypto's hot alphabet soup mess. FTX fallout, SBF's arrest, and the biggest blockchain mystery, where are those crypto billions? We'll talk to Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao. Very simply, Binance does not owe people money. That's very, very different from the FTX situation. Just because they're bitten by one snake doesn't mean that every other animal is the same. That's what got us squawking today. Well, mostly. There are people out there not watching us that are watching like some other shows that are talking about... Hot Christmas items? Yeah, hot Christmas items. I want to know hot Christmas items. That might be one of the problems. It's Thursday, December 15th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up today on the podcast, the Federal Reserve continued its 2022 battle against inflation by raising the benchmark interest rate to its highest level in 15 years. Good afternoon. Over the course of the year, we've taken forceful actions to tighten the stance of monetary policy. We've covered a lot of ground, and the full effects of our rapid tightening so far are yet to be felt. Led by Chairman Jay Powell, the Fed Open Market Committee voted to raise a half a percentage point to a range of four and a quarter to four and a half. That percent, that 50 basis point raise, is after a string of four, three and a quarter, or 75 basis point hikes. We continue to anticipate that ongoing increases will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. During his comments and the follow-up news conference, Powell warned that higher rates are still very much in the present tense, as inflation is not yet on a real downward path and in spite of a possible broader downturn in 2023. To the extent we need to keep rates higher and keep them there for longer and inflation you know, moves up higher and higher, I think that that narrows the runway. But lower inflation readings, if they persist in time, could could certainly make it more possible. So I I just I don't think anyone knows uh, whether we're going to have a recession or not. And if we do, whether it's going to be a deep one or not, it's just it's not knowable. FOMC members indicated they plan to continue raising the Fed funds rate until it hits a median of 5.1% sometime next year. The markets did react negatively to the announcement as investors absorbed Powell saying, we're not there yet. CNBC economics reporter Steve Leisman asked the very first question of the Fed chair. Since the November meeting, the 10-year has declined by 60 basis points. Mortgage rates have come down. High-yield credit spreads have come in. The economy has accelerated, and uh, the stock market's up 6%. Um, 
Is this loosening of financial conditions a problem for the Fed and its effort and its fight against inflation? And if so, do you need to do something about that? And how would you do something about that? Thank you. So as I mentioned, it, it is important that overall financial conditions continue to reflect the policy restraint that we're putting in place to bring inflation down to 2%. I'll hand it back now to Becky Quick. Steve Leisman joins us. Um, Steve saw you asking the first question. It was a good question. And I think the question that remains today is, um, is the market going to listen to what Jay Powell was saying, that higher rates are coming? Uh, it doesn't seem like it's today, uh, uh, Becky. As you know, the Fed hiked 50 basis points yesterday, stepping down from those historic 75 basis point hikes, but still signaling more rate hikes ahead in the fight against inflation. The Fed said ongoing rate hikes would be appropriate. And the median forecast of Fed officials for the funds rate next year rose to 5.15%. It's also substantially, as Becky suggests here, and increasingly above the market's own outlook for the year-end 2023, which this morning is at 4.38. So that's quite a gap there. Now, this may not be a problem now since the Fed and the market are in good agreement through the spring. And the Fed said it's going to slow down to feel its way to the right level, likely hiking next by 25 basis points. Here's what Krishna Guha of Evercore ISI wrote, quote, by targeting a higher for longer peak rate, but slowing down, the Fed prepares for the adverse inflation case while allowing time for the data to falsify its inflation pessimism. Could be a bigger problem next year if the Fed keeps going while the market is priced for cuts and the Fed loses its ability to steer financial conditions. It's good to see progress, but let's just understand we have a long ways to go to get back to price stability. Powell welcomed the recent better-than-expected inflation report, the second in a row, but he pointed out that, hey, inflation's still running at 7.1% year over year, not a reason to be crazy dovish, and that it would take, quote, substantially more evidence to give confidence that inflation is moving towards the 2% target for the Fed to ease back on rate hikes. So, Becky, uh, disagreement now that maybe has tremendous consequences down the road. Hey, Steve, there, there's that old joke where you know, ships steaming ahead, sees another ship in its way, radios out and said, change your course, uh, I'm, I'm headed your way. And the other guy radios back and said, no, you change your course. First guy gets mad and says, I'm the commanding officer of a U.S. aircraft carrier, change your course, I order you. The other guy radios back and says, I'm a lighthouse, you change your course. So is the Fed the lighthouse or is the Treasury market? <laughs> I don't think either was a lighthouse. I kind of think they're both ships with the ability to change and to move. I didn't think Powell could get up there and be very dovish, given that, uh, in his own words, he said that the current inflation rate, take the core, is three times the Fed's target rate. Um, so it has to maintain that course, to use your idea there, um, and can't really change. And what's more interesting is they kind of sped up. Um, and, and I think... What's interesting about your analogy there, Becky, is, is whether or not there's a kind of a crash coming. And, and if you look at the uh, Fed rate outlook through the spring, not much disagreement there. The, 20, the, the May 2023 contract trading around 490, that's about where the Fed probably gets to if you start to do the math and say, let's say they do a couple more quarters from here. That's okay. And I guess it's okay for the Fed to be wrong here. Um, and then change course if the market ends up being right. Um, the trouble right now is that it's clear that Powell wants tighter financial conditions now to deal with inflation. I guess the path of the ship of the economy, so to speak, where inflation comes down uh, either with a recession or without one. 
I, I feel like talking about this for like another 10 minutes, and I was thinking about that, that there are people out there not watching us that are watching like some other shows that are talking about, I don't know, what do they talk about on those shows? Just take your pick. Hot Christmas items? Yeah, hot Christmas items. And I'm I just thinking- I want to know hot Christmas items. <laughs> that I might do. be one of the problems. <laughs> might, no, I, I want to, I'm so interested in this, and I can't believe not everyone is. That's, that's my point. There's some great, this is a good one, that, and it's setting, up a great, it's setting up a great battle between the market, which is being very stubborn about saying, you know, you yeah. can say what you want until you boom the face, Chair Powell, but, but we don't believe you. And we think there's an imposter, and I'm quoting from the journal, there's an imposter behind that Paul Volcker mask that you, that you have on. And I don't, I, it's just going to be interesting to see who's right. One reason pointed out here, and this was, this, I was really shocked. Last December, the, the, the median forecast for this, for 2022, three quarters to 1% for Fed funds. In March, it went to one and three quarters to two. In June, it went from three and a quarter to three and a half. Yeah. And then in September, four and a quarter to four and a half. It's now five to five and a quarter, all in a year. It's December, it's one year later. Steve, that's crazy. That we could, that everybody could have been so wrong, and that's why. Why try to make any forecasts when it's just obviously you, you have no idea. I think the other thing, one more thing, I want to ask you, and then I'm going to let you let you go. Is there any? Do you think any? Even though it was unanimous yesterday, do you think that there's anyone there that's like when they're meeting in closed door saying, you know, uh, Jay, I I think maybe we we have gone. For, I I don't think we know about the effects of what we've already done. I think we should be slowing down. You think anyone's saying that? Because they seem to say it in public a little bit, or at least their body language. Or was it unanimous? We're going to, to 7% or whatever, not no. 7 but I don't think those ideas, Joe, are mutually exclusive, right? I mean, you can have somebody saying, look, we need to be careful here. In fact, uh, it's well to point out the statement itself has this concept of the Fed being mindful of you know, uh, cumulative rate hikes to date and lags of Fed policy. Powell talked about that a lot. Um, it, it's a hard question to answer, Joe. I'm sure that conversation is taking place. Um, I think those changes in the outlook reflect changes uh, in the data and the economy, that the, it has gotten to be uh, uh, inflation has remained higher and more stubborn than anybody, at least on the Fed, expected, and a lot of uh, private sector economists as well. Um, and it's become an issue. And now we're at a place where the Fed feels like very tough medicine is necessary. But ultimately, the main important point here is that the Fed get the funds rate right. And if that yeah. means you're saying the Powell Fed is the lighthouse. Crow, yeah. yeah, you're saying that they, the, the Fed I, is the I, lighthouse, though. Go ahead. Bring it, it. That's the most important thing, because that's the key, key rate for the economy, that interest rates be set at a right level to bring right. down inflation and do minimal damage to the economy. He That's said the most few, important Steve, thing. He said, if, it a few, he said it a few times that we're at full employment or even above that, right. and we're at 7% yeah. inflation. Right. So right. what do you expect? I mean, right. we, we're not trying to get to full employment. We're already there. Well, Our, if he, it's a dual mandate... He the, directly tied the idea that, look, you can't have a strong... We, our job is to make sure we get inflation right, and if we don't get inflation right, you cannot have this continuing strong job market to answer any of the critics who are saying you're not following the dual mandate. 
Like we cannot deal. He, he's basically saying again, the first mandate is the more important one, and that's that's what's going Inflation. to take hold. All right, let's get to those ten hottest. Uh, we got a. We, 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 what do you we, got, Steve? The ten, ten hottest, hottest items, items for Christmas. Yeah, we're going to bring everybody in. Stocking in, stuffers into the tent. You know what is back? Nehru. You, you don't want to talk about. The, you want you want to go to Christmas things. Yeah. You want to talk yeah. about Christmas things? You not. actually started talking talk about, about labor. We can you, talk about labor. You started talking about quantitative tightening on steroids. Uh, I mean, I almost <laughs> had to think about that one, Steve. So maybe we do need to. Have you seen those? The jackets, they look like what you had in the 70s. They look like hef. Have you seen? I've seen it at really expensive stores. Have you I, seen? I don't hang out in really expensive stores, so I wouldn't know these things. I don't actually know what a Nehru jacket looks like. Well, it, it just has two pockets here, and it, it just is very, I don't know, they're back. They're very dated. They're, they're, they're totally. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Take it from uh, Mr. Fashion. No, that's not me. That's very, that's like Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club yes. band type of jacket. They're around. Yeah. Or Lestat the Vampire. Wear one in here. Why don't you just take the members, the members Club coat out and. Uh, I forgot my sweater. Ugly sweater day today. Some squawk booze news for you this morning. A jury will soon have to rule on the definition of beer. At issue, AB InBev is suing Constellation Brands, accusing it of selling its Corona-branded hard seltzer without its permission. AB InBev says an agreement only allows Constellation to sell beer under the Corona name. Constellation says the agreement's definition of beer also covers hard seltzer. A judge ruled that AB InBev may have more dictionaries on its side in the debate over the meaning of beer, but said dictionaries do not resolve the case. I mean, that's pretty complicated stuff. This is like, is almond milk actually milk? Is it milk if you don't lactate to pump it out? Oh. Lactate, lactate. Why are we going even there? So Why are we going talk, there? We were talking about hair on your moles yesterday. Give me a break. Later in the show, at oh, least. Those but ones are okay. The, these questions are pretty serious questions, and I can see this is why you need lawyers to write a really tight yeah. agreement. If it's beer, if it's some other extension of Corona. I'm off the hard seltzer. The hangovers too, are. There's too much. Uh, they're like, it's like. Vodka and too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, a yeah. remake vodka of Zima. Zima, dude. That's all it is. <laughs> all it is is a remake of Zima. I think you're Don't right. pretend it's new. Was, was Zima vodka, though? Because I. I, I, I never really drank Zima, but I, I, these things give, give you a bottles. headache. Two Pool of bottles. those things give you a headache. Two bottles. Cheese will be next. Coming up. We keep saying, where did the money go? Where did all the FTX money go? Well, it appears that at least $3 billion of that money went to Binance. CZ, the CEO at crypto platform Binance, brushes off the threat of a $2 billion FTX clawback. So if you had to send a check in U.S. dollars for $2.1 billion, could you? So I think we'll leave that to the lawyers. Um, I think our legal team is per perfectly capable of handling it. Would you be able to handle it if somebody asked you for $2.1 billion back? Would that be okay? We're financially okay. That exclusive interview when Squawk Pod is back. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 
electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. There are countless storylines in the FTX intrigue, and we're going to get you up to speed, or we'll try. Sam Bankman-Fried, founder and disgraced ex-CEO of the crypto exchange, is currently in custody in the Bahamas after being charged with multiple counts of fraud by federal prosecutors in southern New York. The U.S. Congress, meanwhile, hosted two Capitol Hill hearings on the entire fiasco. First, the House. The committee will come to order. Investigating the Collapse of FTX Part 1. That's where FTX's new CEO testified. His name is John Ray, and he's a man from traditional finance. He led Enron through bankruptcy about 20 years ago. For Ray, it's just new tech, different day. This is just taking money from customers and using it for your own purpose. Not sophisticated at all. This is just plain old embezzlement. Then the Senate had a turn. Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs will come to order. Thank you. And interviewed involved parties in an attempt to get to the bottom of things. One such party, Kevin O'Leary, venture capitalist, Shark Tank investor on TV, and former spokesperson for FTX. He took an equity stake in the business, investing millions, but admitted on Squawk Box just last week, you can hear it on this podcast, that he made a mistake. Did I do enough due diligence? The answer is no. Did I rely like others did of groupthink? Yes, we all did that. He said he called Sam Bankman-Fried, demanding to know what happened. I said, look, Sam, um, I am just one investor, but my account has a zero in it, and there are no accounting records. Where did the money go? And at the Senate Banking Committee hearing, Kevin O'Leary offered his opinion on that very question. I simply called Sam Bankman-Fried and said, where is the money, Sam? He said he had been refused access to the servers, he no longer knew. And I said, Sam, walk me back 24 months. Where did you spend it? And then he told me about a transaction that occurred over the last 24 months, the repurchase of his shares from Binance. Binance is a rival crypto buying and selling exchange. Binance almost bought out FTX when things for that now bankrupt company started to go awry. But Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao, or CZ for short, reneged on the deal in a tweet, of course, citing accounting issues beyond his ability to help. Binance was a huge holder of FTT, that's the FTX token, in the billion-dollar range. But as you'll hear, when CZ backed out of saving FTX, he also announced Binance would be liquidating all the FTT on its books. Binance has its own tokens as well, BNB, a utility token used on the Binance platform, and BUSD, that's Binance's stablecoin. It's a cryptocurrency issued by the company and tied to the U.S. dollar. Joe, Becky, and Andrew talked the alphabet soup that is this soap opera, FTT, BUSD, FTX, CZ, and the notorious SBF. We got some new details as well about what may have led to the arrest of FTX founder and former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. According to uh, newly released uh, Bohemian Court Records, uh, one of the uh, Bankman-Fried's closest associates 
and a co-chief executive of FTX Bahamas uh, entity telling regulators days before the company's bankruptcy filing that SBF likely funneled customer funds from FTX to cover losses at the hedge fund, Alameda Research. There's previously unreported contact between the former executive, uh, Ryan Salem, and the Securities Commission of the Bahamas uh, may be the first now known instance of a top associate of Bankman Freeds to assist the government in trying to bring down this alleged years-long fraud. The CEO of Binance CZ is going to be our special guest, and we're going to talk to him about what's happening here uh, in the world of crypto and actually some of the implications for his own firm. Lots of questions have been raised as a result of what's happened at FTX and what it means uh, as it relates to Binance. And in fact, one of the most interesting components of the testimony yesterday um, that Kevin O'Leary provided um, is the idea that, you know, we keep saying, where did the money go? Where did all the FTX money go? Yep. Well, it appears that at least $3 billion of that money went to Binance. When, when oh, was that Binance. transaction? I've and been trying so, to find more information on it. And so when you think about potential clawbacks and also, therefore, the potential that they're going to need more money did you, on the other did end of it. Do you know the details on it? Because I've, I've been trying to find more information on it. I don't know the specific place, details. I believe was that... Was it actually $3 billion? When, was it like the BS FTT when the When the cap... I mean, well, and this goes to the how, you know, trading how, fake how stuff is, is traded back and forth. It would have happened, I imagine, and we can talk to him about it. Um, it had to have happened in the last six months, which is when all of this And clawbacks can go for at least 90 days. Can they go for a year even? Oh, for I think any, Even if it's a so-called legitimate transaction. Oh, I, I think that you could. I think there's going to be a lot of folks who are going to be getting clawed back I, money. I mean, I, I assumed that Anthony Scaramucci's deal would be in, in the headlights in this, too. If, he, if, if you bought 20 percent of his firm of SkyBridge, wouldn't that be potentially caught up in the bankruptcy court? Like that's, I think that's that the all, I think that all of these investments, all of the illiquid investments, the liquid investments are going to all be up for grabs. And, and, and I imagine, depending on how, you know, to the degree this is a fraud and to the degree this is something that's been going on for years, I think it's just as likely that if there was an investment made in, you know, 2019, I don't think he necessarily had all the money in 2019, but in 20, that some of those investments will be well, uh, some of these people who think they're well. creditors or keep saying that they're creditors in this extent. You're not a creditor if you are, you know, if you were promised money or if you had anything going on, if if it was all, you know, like you're not going to get that money. Let me ask you this, Batman. So I, I hope they make the I hope they make the, the people who had the assets whole. When O'Leary was on there. Yep. Singing the blues about losing all that money. So right. he, we found out he got $15 million. And they said, well, you know, I had to pay taxes on it. Right. Do we know now? They, 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 what's that called? That you, they gross give you, up. They gross They give you, you the money to pay the taxes on what the So it was really $18 billion. So, $18 but, but I, you know, next time I do a deal, you, you're going to be my agent. So yeah. I can get that? I can get grossed up on stuff? On your and, taxes. Yes, but that you realize nice. you still are paying taxes, right? I, I know. Okay. Here's okay. my question, though. So is all that money, was all that money worthless? And is it gone? from O'Leary, and if there was a clawback... Wouldn't how, they get that? How, was, how does he pay yeah. it back if it's gone? If you believe that he's a... Are you, are you arguing that he's a creditor, or are you arguing no, that he, his I, money has been taken? He's arguing he's a creditor. He wants right. to be on the creditor's committee. Okay, right. but it, he did get it from... I mean, what was that money? Where was it? Was that from... Was that ill-gotten gains that, from I, a scammer? That's what I would expect. Like, was that from a scammer? You know who has to you, be made you whole. got $18 million from, you know... It was scammed from clients of, let, of. Let me ask you because you made right. this distinction, Andrew. When yep. You said that the SEC was focused on the investors. My right. guess is the bankruptcy court is just looking at the people who lost their money, and I would assume that they put first the people who just had their money and assets there that that Bankman Fried was stealing. Was it 
allegedly, and putting into his, to use for his own uses. Like right. if you were, had them holding your Bitcoin, for example. So you think he could be a creditor? He does. That's what he was arguing yesterday. Do I think that he could be a creditor? Uh, ostensibly, he could be a creditor. But the question, even though he got the money from the well, so the more if, if me, he had bought, if he had bought into, if it was FTX, his money to begin with, right? He could be a creditor. But how do you be a creditor when you got it from? It would be like if you were an employee of a you company. Were, if you're a contractor right, right, who was right, owed right. money. If you're an employee of a company who was who was owed money. To me, the more interesting one is going to be, for example, like a Sequoia, which put money in, ostensibly. Uh, and, and is now you know, the SEC is effectively fighting on their behalf to some degree. And yet, Sam Bankman Fried also took, put money into Sequoia. So Sam Bankman right. Fried was an investor in Sequoia. That and make, that money, that you would think, actually be, would have to go back. Okay, so and so, how does that work? And here's the and complications. I don't know the and that's a Sequoia situation, that's a Skybridge situation. Do those that's firms more of just a get par- locked paradigm. Up? I don't know if how it would work in the Skybridge scenario. The collapse of uh, crypto exchange FTX causing increased scrutiny for the players that are still out there. One thing that got attention earlier this week was Binance seeing more than a billion dollars in outflows. But the company's CEO tweeted this was, quote, business as usual. And about 12 hours later, he said things seem to have stabilized. Joining us right now to talk all about this is Binance's CEO, CZ. Um, CZ, thank you for joining us. Uh, So many issues about trust and credibility and integrity in this space. And I want to talk about FTX in a moment, but I want to, I want to start with what's happening at your own firm. Uh, given the outflows this week, I saw that you said on uh, an AMA, this is one of these Ask Me Anything, you said there's no amount of withdrawals that would put us under, under any pressure. But that, uh, I think, is a, a very bold statement uh, to be making. How are people and why should people trust that their money is safe at this point? So I think, the, uh, thanks, Andrew, for having me. And um, the well-run crypto exchanges should hold user assets one-to-one. So user deposit Bitcoin, we hold it in Bitcoin, we move to a cold wallet, we keep some in the hot wallet. And people, um, they sell it. Now the Bitcoin belongs to somebody else, but we still hold it in the cold, cold storage. People can draw, withdraw 100% of the assets they have on Binance. We will not have an issue at, in any given day. So um, 100% of the users withdraw 100% of the assets, we'll we be fine. This is very different for traditional financial people to understand because banks run on fractional reserves. And the traditional regulators, many of them may think that it's okay for crypto businesses to be running on fractional reserves. That is not okay. Um, In crypto, there's no central bank printing money to bail out banks when there's a liquidity crunch. So um, crypto businesses have to hold user assets one-to-one. And that's what we do. It's very simple. Okay, but let me me ask you about that uh, specifically. And I I don't want to get too technical, but uh, indulge me for a moment. When you had what seemed to be liquidity issues around customers wanting USDC, it, it, looks, it, it looked, at least from this vantage point, that what was happening here uh, could have been avoided if, and, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, you allowed customers to deposit and hold USDC instead of what it looked like was that you auto-converted them into your own exchange dollar. Am I wrong? Uh, that's a minor corrections. Um, so number one is we do the auto conversion into BUSD, which is not issued by us, uh, which is not the exchange dollar. Um, it's actually issued by a New York DYF uh, uh, licensed entity, um, Paxos. So um, the reserves are in New York. Uh, it's a stable coin. The problem we had before is we have many different types of stable coins on Binance. And, you know, Bitcoin trades against USDC, Bitcoin trades against BUSD and the USDT. 
Um, there's TUSD. There's a bunch of other things. And then you, it's very difficult for users to find the best price. So we said, okay, they're all stable coins and they should convert one to one. So let's combine all of them into one, into one so that the users just go to, they want to buy Bitcoin, they go to Bitcoin BUSD and they find it. On the deposit and withdrawal, we do the conversion. We have channels to convert them one to one, but the channels we have actually have to go through a bank because to convert from BUSD to USDC, we have to sell BUSD into US dollars, a cash in a bank, move it to a different bank account and then buy that buy USDC at a different institution. That uh, so that day we had more users trying to buy uh, or trying to with deposit BUSD and withdrawing uh, USDC, and we ran out of that. And the bank that does the conversion doesn't open until six hours later, and that's a bank in New York. So we were actually blocked. This actually issue was actually caused by a bank. So uh, uh, that's what and stable coins the only one we convert. Every other asset we people deposit bitcoin we hold bitcoin people deposit ethereum we hold ethereum right. and and, and, and you understand why i'm asking you that question because it, it it does appear in that instance at least that uh when you said no amount of withdrawals it would put you under pressure uh, by default it put you under pressure now whether it was your doing or some other banks doing and so the question is longer term would you reevaluate how, how you do that so we have the assets to convert um so it's there's no there's no margin no leverage we just needed the bank to open so the bank opened six hours later, we it was fine. So banks don't work for like, you know, 24 hours a day. Banks only work for like a few hours a day. And, um, and when you try to, and when the banks are shut down, when you try to, when banks are closed, you try to withdraw money, it doesn't work. We That's exactly the same situation that happened. And we allowed people to withdraw other stable coins onto other platforms to do conversion if they want. So there was not a liquidity issue. It was just, there was a conversion issue that was going through the bank. In terms of uh, the credibility of Binance, uh, you disclosed that Binance holds about $60 billion of crypto assets. Uh, but thus far, uh, you haven't disclosed your liabilities. And I wonder why that is and whether you will. Yeah, so we are working with firms to do the uh, audit of financials, li liabilities, etc. Very simply, Binance does not owe people money. Binance does not have loans from other companies, from other funds. It just it, We just don't have it. You can ask any fund in the in the in the ecosystem. You can ask any VC. We actually do also do not have VC investments, so we don't owe anybody any money, and uh, we also do not have loans to other people um, that we depend on for our next payroll. So um, we are very simple, very self-contained type of organization, and uh, we manage our cash very simply. So FT that's very very different from the FTX situation where. So people who are hurt by FTX are now worried about everybody else. And, and they were defending FTX before, but that's why they have money on FTX. So, but just because they're bitten by one snake doesn't mean that every other animal uh, is the same. So the CZ, you're in a business, obviously it's not the same as you pointed out as, as maybe a bank, but it does, I mean, it relies on confidence to some extent. And the easiest way would be to publish a real audit by a respected audit firm. Why is that so yeah, hard to so, do? Why is that so hard? So uh, it actually doesn't, in our industry, we don't depend that much on trust. Uh, we, de we depend on very much on verification. So, you know, two days ago, people want to withdraw. We didn't have an issue. Um, and um, uh, the USDC thing was fixed in a couple of hours, you know, like within an hour when the bank opened. And um, so um, we, uh, everybody, every other asset works just fine. And we are working with auditing firms. Interestingly, Many audit firms are kind of scared to work with crypto businesses. They don't want to, you know, there are a few audit firms that audited FTX and they got burned. 
because they give the stamp of approval. And I don't know how they did the audits, but the audits don't reveal every problem. So, no, but, I, but um, an audit from a audit big four auditor kind of, would reveal that, CZ. If you could right. get a big four auditor to say that, if, if you're saying that some of them don't want to work with you, that raises questions too. They, they don't want to work with you because you don't have the files and the data that would make them feel comfortable signing off and, and giving that stamp of approval? Uh, actually, many of them don't even know how to audit crypto exchanges. Um, they don't. They don't. They don't really. When they so when they audit, they are, they are very used to auditing a firm. Um, they don't know how to audit uh, uh, user assets, different blockchains, etc. So I think that capability may or may not be there. Um, but you know, many of the top leading uh, 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 audit firms, they're much more comfortable in the traditional financial space. Right. No, no, when, CZ, when, I, when it comes to blockchain, I know you've come out and said that you. My understanding is that you came out publicly and said that Deloitte, Ernst & Young, uh, KPMG, and PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, wouldn't participate in these audits. My question to you is, have you, have you spoken with them since? Um, and is there, under, is there a circumstance under which they, they would do it? Is, it? is it about the disclosure that you're providing to them? Is it about their own experience? Uh, no, I have not personally spoken to them, and I also did not name them. Um, but, you know, um, we are very ha happy for them to work with anyone that wants to audit uh, properly how to audit the crypto business. Um, yeah. But even the audit that you're not, I shouldn't call it an audit, even the disclosure that you're doing with Mazars is, is not, I mean, you're setting the rules for this. It's not a real audit. You're telling them what you'll share and you're kind of setting up, they wouldn't call it an audit. Uh, look, um, the FTX gone through a gap audit and that, that firm got a lot of reputational hit right now and because FT, FTX went down. So people are agey. People are, you know, very, very agey about their reputations, et cetera. So, um, and we are now much more transparent than traditional financial businesses. No banks give 100% proof of reserves. Coinbase has a big four auditor? Um, actually, I'm, I, I don't look at Coinbase. We don't really look at other... I think other, so, though. I, I, I don't know the so details. They, they, they understand it well Deloitte enough. Deloitte is the auditor for yeah. Coinbase. So they yeah. can so figure... They do have some much experience. Less, much smaller... Coinbase much smaller jurisdiction coverage, uh, global coverage, number of coins, number of products, um, just, you know, it's still a bit different. CZ, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and this relates to F uh, FTX. Um, yesterday, uh, Kevin O'Leary testified in, in front of uh, the Senate, and he was asked where did the money go, uh, meaning the FTX money. And he suggested that one place that the money may have gone is, in fact, to you, uh, when Sam Bankman-Fried back in 21, the summer of 21, effectively bought out your stake in the company. How concerned are you that that money uh, will be uh, clawed back? Uh, are you prepared uh, to uh, hand it back to creditors if, in fact, they were to ask? And was it paid to you in U.S. dollars in some other kind of currency? Well, first of all, I think um, Calvin um, O'Leary, um He's making a bunch of nonsense claims, and they don't make sense. They don't make any logic. Um, he shouldn't be making those claims as a celebrity investor. I'm actually very surprised that he's able to omit a lot of different things and make some really uh, specific uh, targeted things. For example, in that interview with you guys, that in the same interview, he said the entire record of the, from his account on FTX, the entire records are gone. He's not concerned about that. He just picks up the phone and calls SDF. He's not concerned about the fact that the platform records for users are gone. He's not concerned about other users. How many people can pick up the phone and call SBF? 
And he says he was talking with SBF up until the point that he was SBF was arrested. Yeah, see, that, see, see, that's, I see that's an indicator point. of a very special relationship. Yeah, I see your point, and I, I don't think that I don't think the problems at, that existed at FTX were simply any back and forth between your two forms. It, it, it definitely led to the disclosure that there had been money that was taken, but that disclosure raises lots of questions about firms like yours. Have you done the same? Has there ever been commingled funds? Have you ever taken any of the clients' funds and done anything with them? And again, why should we believe you? Because Sam Bankman-Fried told everybody, no, that hasn't happened. And he tweeted a lot of the same stuff that you've been tweeting in recent days, which I think gets back to this idea of show me the money. So let's get back to show me the money part. So Calvin omitted the fact that there's no records. That's not a problem to him. So he just want to talk to Sam and believe whatever Sam says. He doesn't want to look at the records. And if you look, and he wants to omit all the small spendings, $50 million, $200 million, $200 million of small spending, that's very convenient. He says he didn't know that Binance was a shareholder of FTX. So he invested in FTX without looking at the cap table. But he was very specific in the way he counts for a transaction two years ago. So that's kind of contradictory. So um, I think Calvin's a liar. So um, I think he's lying about, about a bunch of stuff. So that's his problem. To us, we want to be transparent. We want to set the golden standard for reliability, solidness in the so space. Do it. And we're, so, we're taking so, a number so, of actions. But, but let's go but just back to, back to the, the, the specifics here. In 21, Sam Bankman-Fried said that he bought you out, your stake in the company. I imagine he, would tr- he transferred funds to you, likely somewhere between 2 and $3 billion. Is that right? I remember it was $2.1 billion at the time. And okay. a big chunk of that is in FTT tokens, which are now worthless. So he sent you FTT tokens, and you believe that, that the majority of the $2.1 billion was that? Um, it's a combination of, um, I believe it was a combination of BUSD, BNB, and FTT. Um, I don't know the exact combination now, but it's probably about, um, I, I don't remember exactly, but FTT is a big chunk. And that's why we still had like, you know, we... Even after the FTT price dropped over the last year, we still had $500 million worth of it, uh, $580 million worth of it on the day when we transferred from the address we received a year and a half ago. We never touched it. We actually actually kind of forgot about it. And then um, we transferred it on the blockchain from that address we received to Binance.com, and that got picked up by the community. So in, the, in this industry, everything is very transparent. Well, but, but my question to you is a, a both a bankruptcy uh, judge and potentially others uh, could seek, uh, like they did in the in the case of uh, Bernie Madoff, frankly, to uh, to seek to uh, claw back that money. Are you prepared to to send that money to them? And by the way, I mean, I, and maybe this is uh, a risk to to your firm. You know, some will measure it as uh, the value of FTT today. Some may measure it on the value of FTT at the time. So, if you had to send a check in U.S. dollars for 2.1 billion dollars, could you? So I think we'll leave that to the lawyers. Um, I think our legal team is per- perfectly capable of handling it. My expectation, though, <clears throat> just from common logic, is that there was a lot of spendings um, after that transaction uh, in, the, in the more recent times FTF done to, you know, Miami, you know, football stadiums, uh, referees, um, sponsorships, uh, even yeah, to Calvin right. himself. But would you be able to handle it if somebody asked you for $2.1 billion back? Would that be okay? Would you be able to still withstand things? We're financially okay. Including you have $2.1 billion to give away? If somebody came to, reclaw, to claw that back, you'd still be fine? We'll, we'll let the lawyers handle it. Our fin- we are financially strong. 
you know, the $500 million that you guys spent on Twitter, where did that money come from? Are you confident in that? Do you have additional money? And the reason I ask these questions is, again, you guys aren't FTX, but FTX was making a lot of investments in other places that turned out to be customers' money. Where did you guys get the money for the $500 million investment in Twitter? We don't use customers' money. We have revenue. Our revenue comes from trading fees, and we have very solid revenue. We do not spend on crazy advertisements. We're, we're okay. And we paid, the, we paid the Twitter investment already in cash. was done. It was not customer money. That I can guarantee you. CC, one other related question, uh, which goes to uh, interest-related products. The, the way interest-related products work, from my understanding, the way you can actually capture the interest to create some semblance of profit for yourself is to effectively lend those shares out uh, typically for people to then short them. That's, that's how this all works. Um, is that changing uh, given what's happening, what's just happened with, with FTX and have your, your either lending standards or how this all uh, works shifted? So um, the, there's different types of those type of products. Um, there's, what FTX is doing is that they just take customer money without permission and give it to Alameda to trade. And that's a very different situation than when a user puts uh, their money into a program, say uh, a earnings program, and that is used for other traders who are on the system who are properly uh, mar margin monitored. Um, and if they go through their margins, then they will be liquidated. Um, so um, the way we do that is we do have a program called Earn where people can put their uh, money into a program to earn interest. That money is used for other margin traders to borrow from. And we actually, re sometimes we do run out because the demand demand supply um, sometimes don't, don't match up. But the money never leaves the platform. And we do margin controls for those. Uh, we do risk management from those for margin traders um, just across the board. And uh, so we we don't have a we don't have an account with unlimited leverage uh, like Alameda had on FTX. That is very different. OK, uh, CZ, uh, we appreciate you joining us uh, today. We look forward to talking to you again. Um, hopefully very soon in the future. I know there's so many questions that people still have and uh, we hope to continue to be able to ask them to you and we appreciate uh, you engaging with us. So thank you. We're back in a moment. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Do you get anything except socks and underwear? And it's just my life. Do you anything? That's what you get for Christmas? What else? What, what don't I have? What don't I have? There's nothing I don't have. Except Look at you. Such a lucky man you are. Except clean underwear. <laughs> you said it, not me. What do you get? Love. You got, you need even, I, I mean, I, I'm sure you, you got kids giving you stuff. You got relatives. Uh, what do, what I do don't you? know what's on my list this year. I, it's always a surprise. And that's the pod for today. Let us know what's on your holiday gift list. You can send us any comments on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern for the latest in all the news you can use. Why are we going there? You were talking about hair on your moles yesterday. Give me a break. Later in the show.
And follow Squawk Pod, this podcast, wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 